0: This was a brand that was overinvested in, and here's the key thing, with a complex capital
1: stack. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, February 26th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I dig into the death rattle of Vice as the company lays off hundreds of staffers and kills its website. We look back on what went wrong. John and I also discuss Buzzfeed selling off Complex for a major loss, another black eye for the company that, like Vice, was once a darling of the digital media universe. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday, it is Media Monday, of course, in which I am joined by Pucks Fearless leader John Kelly to talk all things media. I want to start this episode by asking all of our listeners to close their eyes, unless you're in the car, and go back to, say, 2017. And you turn on HBO and there is a show on HBO that claims to be the voice of millennials and doing a new kind of journalism. And on the screen emerges a bearded man, originally from Canada, I believe, who gives little decoder rings to his loyal deputies at his new media company based in Brooklyn. And he says, this week on Vice. (laughs) Well, John Kelly, this week on Vice uh, vice looks like it's on death watch um, vice announced this week that they are laying off hundreds of staffers I think they have about 900 staffers at this point they've been having cuts for years they've been taking investments from all over the place last year uh you know they had a big investment from fortress uh, the investment group that should have been a signal that this was probably coming they're killing vice.com and it sounds like they're you know coming to their natural denouement which is uh being a sort of branded content production company. This is the latest uh, emblem of the end of ad-supported digital media uh, and its frothy heyday of the uh, mid-2010s, I think. Um, Shane Smith has obviously long left the company. That's why I was referencing, and it's been taken over by a bunch of different people. You're in New York. I mean, we're around Vice people all the time. I feel like everyone that works in our business knows somebody who worked at Vice at one time, was really hyped to go work at Vice and later regretted it. <laughs> uh, I work in film and TV production, so I know so many freelancers who got stiffed <laughs> on paychecks that took way too long to come. I don't know. I When I saw this headline, man, John, I kind of thought Vice had already died. <laughs> Honestly, what's your take on all this? Well, we're having a real sort of... Uh... Late
0: stage legacy or like post legacy legacy media day to day with uh, news advice and then there's more bad news at BuzzFeed and I actually I view all of this a lot less sentimentally and um, certainly in a less forlorn way than than the the kind of um, Oliver Darcy crowd.
1: I, I'm with you, man. I mean, like if if you worked at Vice and you saw that Fortress was coming in, that was probably a siren that it was time to go.
0: Yeah, I think there are two key questions here. The, the, the first one is why people care so much. And I think we know that that the, these companies came along at a moment in media cycles when the not only there, were, there was a twin shift, right? The business model was changing and the activity was moving to um, to platforms. And they came along with a lot of bravado and extraordinary in, investor chutzpah. And they grew really, really fast. And there was selling bullshit in a lot of cases. Um, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to miss this because I never read one Vice.com article in my life, and I never watched that show. I never even watched the the Daily Show, which seemed to me to be positively nonsensical, just un- unnecessary in the culture. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss this. But I, but journalists. People who make media are can't help themselves but feel uh, both a kind of I told you so and also a doom and gloom about this since people are losing their jobs. But that leads me to point two, which is how did this happen? It happened for the most predictable reasons of all time. These, uh, in, in the case of Vice, this was a brand that was overinvested in, and here's the key thing, with a complex capital stack. You mentioned Fortress, uh, uh, and I believe Soros has a bit of money in this too. Yes, this is the loan-to-own vulture sort of, you know. Um, let's uh, liquidate this thing, to, you know, till we can get the last penny out of it. It's it's this is capitalism. But before we even got here, there were a number of significant investors in this company, including many legacy media companies, including large private equity companies like. TPG, which is uh, an investor in, in PUC, a signature investor in Puck, who were exploring this space, and and their investment advice in was in many ways a trial balloon to see what was going to happen in in digital media and in you know uh, habits of um, of a new generation as they were exploring content, and and it turns out obviously. That the investment soured, and this was you know, and they were not building a company, but they were they raised money in such a way that the company was almost divided against itself. There were too many people in the boardroom. Vice made no sense. I mean, if you think back to the the sort of Shane Smith era that your your voiceover imitated, by that point there were like 74 Vice verticals. There were two Vice shows on HBO. That makes no sense, Peter. It was insane. You had the Weekly Bananas. Sh- bananas, right? And uh, I remember the innovation for the Daily Vice show was that it had no host. That's not an innovation, Peter. That's a bad idea. You know, like so. It, it's um, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to feel bad about this. There was a lot of money wasted. All the good news is that the money was. Of, you know, I think investors learned and moved money towards more worthwhile endeavors, and at the very least, they moved it towards the looming macroeconomic opportunities of, of crypto and, and AI. But lost in this conversation is the fact that this was a business that never made money. It was a private company that raised eons of capital. Its founder took a hundred million dollars plus off the table into his own pocket. Nobody actually believed in this thing. It was never profitable and this turn that it's making now this part just uh, i'm getting long in the tooth there but this is the the relevant part it's actually interesting because we are seeing that they are finally becoming the production company in a way that nancy dubuque wanted them to be but we're also seeing that there's a new kind of licensing agreement that is going to take place they have these channels they have these relationships and partnerships around the globe and they do still make stuff but they're going to start content licensing and i like Mark my words, that's going to become a new business that a lot of media companies are going to adapt where they stop publishing for their O&O, but they begin to publish for other people's O&O. It's no different than what you see in streaming where you have content, um, you have arms dealers and arms suppliers, right? Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, like, you know, arms dealers. And then you have the smaller things like AMC and Lionsgate that are the suppliers. And Vice is saying
1: in its in its late life... That it's going to be a supplier. You mentioned that Soros invested in Vice, and that blows my mind because I, I went back the other day and reread my favorite uh, article ever about Vice, which was by Reeves Weidemann mm-hmm. in uh, New York Magazine back in 2018, sort of around the time Shane Smith stepped back from the company. Uh, and that piece, by the way, included the detail that Shane would bestow upon his most loyal deputies gold Vice rings. And that you know was seen as sort of gross obviously like this sort of like club that, that ran this company but in that piece that Reeves wrote uh, he mentioned and I had forgotten this that Rupert Murdoch also uh, invested in Vice in their you know sort of phony yep. heyday and I, I I can't think of another property out there where both Rupert Murdoch and George Soros both invested in and beyond that that is so galling to the idea that vice was supposed to be this like rebellious young counterculture media company and here they are you know under Shane taking checks from like <laughs> these like evil corporate overlords you know across the political spectrum my you know i have so many thoughts about that that heyday because it was just we, we i lived through it i mean when i started working at snapchat i think in 2016 uh, Vice was was an early partner for us on Discover. And, you know, Shane was always boasting about like how they were just dialed in to millennials, dialed into Gen Z. This was their essential place that they got news and information. And I remember like talking to my team at Snap, which was mostly like young millennials at the time, like 2015, 2016. And I was like, do any of you guys like watch Vice, read Vice? When was the last time you like saw a Vice article? My informal focus group of, like, urban, elite, young, millennial <laughs> employees at Snap, none of them read Vice, none of them watched Vice. And that's the first time I was like, this is a shell game. And the other moment I remember was Shane was at uh, Can Lion, again, in that same era, and he went on CNBC. CNBC has their little setup there to interview all the CEOs. And some interviewer was asking him if they – you know, would be willing to be acquired at some point or like, t- or have a company take a majority stake. And he was like, oh yeah, we've got friends at Google. We've got friends all over the place. We would love, like he was clearly just like begging for someone to come in, buy them so he could have an exit. Like it was just a really great example of catching digital media lightning in the sort of like 2000s and 2010s and just like, like riding that Bronco and hoping, hoping, hoping that you could sort of get out and make an exit rather than building something very sustainable for the future. But I agree with you. I mean like the sort of like branded content studio thing (laughs) feels like kind of what it should be naturally at this point.
0: Shane had one truly uh, differentiating talent, which was an ability to prey upon the anxieties of kind of young boomer, era, media executives, and, and beyond. The, the Bob Igers, Jeff Bugis, Rupert Murdoch, all of whom countenanced this change in behavior and really sort of thought that he had all the answers. It's hard to know at the end of the day if, if this was all really calibrated schmuck insurance or, or if they actually were, were compelled by his strategy. But what's uh, so extraordinary here is that he, I think, over time began to believe his own mythology. And we've talked about this before, but I remember hearing from a friend who was with him when Iger, you know, uh, put a, um, you know, sort of... T- Tendered unofficially a, a, an offer, and and Shane rejected it because he wanted to to come back a year or so later. You know, adding another billion to it. Um, uh, what we all know now didn't know then was that this was the you know this was the the early stage of the um, the Zerp era where uh, money was so easy to raise, and. Venture investors had to, to to put it to work uh, underneath a, a number of of companies that that really weren't worth it. So uh, Vice is going to end up being the sort of size that it should be, and I don't think there's anything to be sentimental about. This is just uh, this is just how it's, it's designed that
1: the system works. John, I want to take a quick break. When to come back, I want to ask you about another end of the digital era highway marker: Buzzfeed's sale of. Complex to another company I had not heard of. <laughs> Quick math. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. It's Media Monday. We talked in the A block about Vice as the poster child for the frothy days of mid-aughts digital media. But there was another marker of decline I think that happened late last week, which is that BuzzFeed sold Complex, which is this sort of entertainment cool media brand, you know, sneakerhead, hip-hop adjacent media brand. BuzzFeed bought Complex. Back in 2021 for 300 million dollars, just just a couple of years ago, and they sold it last week to the live stream shopping platform Network. That's Capital N T W R K for about 100 million dollars. So a big loss. Uh, you know, BuzzFeed is also cutting expenses and doing more layoffs. That's another storyline about BuzzFeed. There, John Complex uh, was a helped produce actually a, a, a sitcom that my friend Scott Conner and I wrote. Hmm. And then and, and Scott produced back in 2016 called Embeds about life on the campaign trail. That was pretty fun and and Complex I think still owns it, which is why it's not anywhere on the internet right now. Listen up, Network put out Embeds. What what did you make of this, John? I mean, what had you heard of Network before? I had had a sense this was happening.
0: Uh, oh a bit in advance, and before that, I'd never heard of network, I have no idea what it is. This is all very depressing, and I believe the complex sale was largely, if not all, stock, so it's, you know, they're, they're the big losers in this. The Just to put this in perspective, Peter, BuzzFeed's annual revenue is around, uh, I don't know, maybe $400 million, it makes about, you know, doing back of the envelope math here, 90 to $110 million a quarter, its market cap is fifty million dollars, and that's based on a hundred percent jump when they announced the complex sale at a you know a, a drastic discount. So the market hates this company. I mean, we, we were talking about Vice, which is only hated by by private <laughs> investors um, who lost money. You know, I think that that went down from you know about six billion to you know to to, to pennies. Um, But BuzzFeed's not far behind it, and it's also unsentimentally sad here. It seems like what the market is gesturing towards is that they just want BuzzFeed to be something similar to what Vice is going to become. This, of a certain size, ad play. They were not interested in BuzzFeed news. I expect that Huffington Post is going to find its way into oblivion at some point. I feel like a, a messenger Huffington Post uh, deal would have would have made sense to all gobbled up by the LA Times or something like that or Yahoo like it just uh, investors don't want that they want BuzzFeed to be just the garbage of the internet with lifestyle advertising and CBG behind it. Uh, part of me wonders, you know, BuzzFeed can't stay public for this much longer. And I, I wonder what a take private looks like or who the sort of targeting companies may be. I was listening to Neil Vogel um, on with um, on one of my favorite podcasts, People vs. Algorithms, the other day. And this was all going on in the background. I thought, huh, Dot dash Meredith might be a perfect acquirer for the the remains of BuzzFeed, but not until they, they get rid of Complex, get rid of Huffington Post, and, you know, maybe get rid of part of Tasty. But what we're really seeing here, both with Vice that we discussed in the previous segment and now, is 50 or 60 years of media oscillation happening in 15, you know, a really, really sudden rise, something that became larger than it ever should have been. And now it's... Resetting to a, a form and it's going to be acquired and, and it'll live on in some way. But um, uh, the trip to the bottom isn't pretty, but I'm sure that Jonah Pretty and those guys are actually relieved to get all this tonnage off
1: the PL. I was thinking about this in the context of what we had just said about Shane Smith or what I was saying, which is it was very clear that Vice, OG Vice leadership, wanted to cash out and sell this thing. And Jonah has always seemed like more, despite you know the, the business going down the tubes, has always seemed more interested in making BuzzFeed good and durable. It just seemed like he cared more about the employee base and the product <laughs> than vice leadership ever did. A good example of this, and, and I, I know we've talked about this, I liked Ben Smith's book, Traffic, about the sort of peak BuzzFeed, HuffPo, Gawker era digital media. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob Iger, you know, met with Jonah in in Florida and offered him $650 million in 2013 to buy BuzzFeed. And Jonah, such a purist about, you know, the internet and and precious about it to his financial detriment here in this case, and he turned it down. I don't think (laughs) Shane Smith would have turned that down (laughs) at all. Uh, you know, and so like, I just kind of want to give some good vibes to Jonah compared to some of the other leadership that that we've been discussing here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's all fair and well. And, and these, you know, Shane wanted to get rich. Shane, Shane did get rich. I'm sure Jonah took some money out of the company oh, at various yeah. points. Um but what's stunning is that Joan is still running the company. Uh, he, he's a well-intentioned guy, but this he shouldn't have ever been a CEO of a publicly traded company. You know, he was a sort of – he was an internet whiz kid. He was an, an, an MIT Media Lab, you know, savant who did this goofy trick of, you know, the, the – some you know viral sneaker video i can't remember what the hell was it that that made him famous sure yeah, yeah that's cool and it's cool that he believed that like having a backbone of journalism would have ossified his company it turned out to be obviously the exact wrong idea you know that he had this this company that made you know viral content and then he had a, a traditional newsroom like that, that those two things just should not sit in the same pod and he realize that over time it was a hard decision. Uh, they certainly tried to break BuzzFeed knew that out all the time and maybe there was a way that they could have done it earlier. Whatever. I'm not saying the guy's not a good guy and not well intentioned. I'm just saying that if you're Comcast, which I believe has money uh, you know, tied into BuzzFeed still and probably still money advice vice, I, I I can't remember if, if they um uh you know what their involvement was there, then you're looking at him and thinking this guy was probably a, uh, a false prophet, and mm. um, and the fact that he's still there tells me that, frankly, that um, he's you know one of the few people who still loves this company, and there aren't many others who, who want to take it over and turn it around.
1: Well, shout out to the journalists, uh, many of them good, who worked at all of these places, both Vice and BuzzFeed News, won Pulitzers uh, in their prime, uh, despite you know some uh, some try hard. efforts of journalism at both places also lots of very good journalists uh in spite of some bad leadership john thank you so much buddy i'll see you in the slack this week all right see you there thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance